the Psalms, we're calling it gospel rhythm with the idea that, um, in the hope that God's word, but in particular the Psalms, would become more and more the rhythm of our life. And so we've been looking at three different Psalms prior to this morning. We're skipping forward to Psalm 119 today. Uh, I'm not going to read it because we would be here a long time if we did, but I'm going to pull in the sermon from various portions of this great Psalm. Uh, this psalm, the theme of it is about God's word, and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and how important it is to have the rhythm of the scriptures in our heart and our life on a daily and weekly basis. Like you guys, um, me and my wife Becky are busy people. Uh, we both work. Becky works about three quarters time. She's involved in the women's ministry here. Uh, we have three boys together, and uh, they're, they're each one into athletics and several other activities, and we really like to be involved in their stuff. And so we are super involved with their school and their sports. We try to attend everything that we can. And then on top of that, of course, we are bringing leadership to this church. And so we are busy people. You are too. There's, there's no question. And in the midst of busyness in our marriage, what we've discovered over the 20-something years that we've been married, <laughs> 22, I think, but anyway, uh, <laughs> is that is that you have to fight to have a good relationship. And I don't, mean fight, I don't mean fight with one another, but you have to fight with all the other things that would distract you from making your marriage the primary relationship, the primary human relationship in your life. You have to fight to have date nights together, which we do. Uh, nearly every Saturday night is a, is a date night for us. And I gotta be honest, there are times that it's wonderful and awesome and it's, it's all that it's meant to be. We're connecting emotionally and talking and having a great time and it's wonderful. But there are other times we just sort of look at each other across from uh, dinner, or, you know, and we're just totally uncreative uh, and we're at Dairy Queen just doing, so, you know, like, or something worse and just saying, you know, like, what do you wanna talk about? I don't know, it's just, but it's putting the time in to connect. Uh, also, two to three times a year, we try to get away for a weekend, and now that our boys are a little older, that's, that's easier. They can watch themselves, but we get away for a weekend, like a Friday night and Saturday night, and, and we try to reestablish this relationship, because frankly, our daily, weekly lives are so hectic and so busy. It, f- it feels like we're roommates at times, coming and going, because the foundation, as you know, of any good relationship is communication, and, and that there's actual talking and listening and, and loving one another and hearing one another. There has to be this ongoing relationship where somebody's talking and somebody's listening and back and forth and, and not just for information's sake, but that you can know one another, love one another, prefer one another, and care for one another. We need reminding, frankly, of how much we like each other and love each other in these date nights and especially the weekend getaways have been a way that, that that's happened. So some of you, maybe you're first time to church in a long time. Remember, you've never really been to church, but you've heard people say perhaps like, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, and you hear Christians say that it's not about religion, it's about relationship. It's about having a relationship with God. And if you've not grown up in church in a religious setting, that must sound very strange to you that somebody's saying, I have a personal relationship with a man who has not been on planet earth for over 2,000 years. I mean, that's got to sound a little weird, right? So how does that happen? What do Christians mean? Is that just like spiritual gobbledygook? Or does it, what does that mean when we say we have a relationship with God? And what I want you to see this morning is this is, yes, it is incredibly important for you to have a relationship with God. And you can listen to him and speak to him. And that takes place primarily through the scriptures. In fact, I would argue that there's no other way to hear from God 
uh, you know, in a, in a truthful sense, in 100%, I know this is God's will for my life, apart from the scripture, and the relationship that we have, because the Holy Spirit speaks in and through us, uh, to us, through his scriptures, his word, that this is so primary for a relationship. Now, we believe that the Bible was written by real human people in a real human context. So these, are, these were people, you know, thousands of years ago that wrote in a real historical context. This isn't a fairy tale. This is a real context. So a real human author writing to a real human audience with a real intent and purpose for that day and that moment in that place. And so as you're reading the Bible, you say to yourself, like, all right, well, what do they mean to say to those people at that moment in that time? And then you say, all right, there's the context, but then what does it mean then universally for the church or for the world uh, in light of that reality of what they said in that moment, in that place, in that time? And then finally, though, and we usually just skip to this, is to ask, now, Lord, what might you be saying to me? What might you be saying to me? And what we mean by this is the illumination that the Holy Spirit does. There's not a new revelation. God's not going to give you a brand new word Uh, and say that there's something needed beyond Jesus or the scriptures, but he will apply the word of God to your life in a real moment in time to the Holy Spirit. I believe this with all my heart and apply it into your life. That's what people mean when they say, God said to me or God, I've never heard an audible voice, but when people say things like the the Lord was telling me or placing upon my heart, if they're being faithful, what that means is that God is applying the truth of his word to you through the power of the Holy Spirit as you're reading it meditating, and praying over it. And this is our desire, your elders' desire for you, as that the word of the Lord might become so much a part of the rhythm of your life that God is guiding you, leading you, and is the path for your life. This morning, as we look at Psalm 119, it's, it's the longest psalm in the Bible, which were songs, okay? So this morning, if you showed up and said, hey, it's Psalm 119 day, you'd know that we would have started like, you know, at 10.30 this morning, and we would still be singing the same psalm because it's 22 stanzas long. Uh, the psalmist took uh, the for a letter of every letter in the Hebrew alphabet and created a stanza for each of the Hebrew letters. And so there's 22 different stanzas. That's a long, long psalm to be singing. And this morning what I want us to see is that the word of the Lord brings three things. And from Psalm 119, we could probably say the word of the Lord brings 25 things, but for the sake of time, we're going to look at three. The word of the Lord this morning brings freedom, light, and formation. Freedom, light, and formation. First of all, freedom. And Verses 44 through 45, the psalmist writes this. I will keep your law, I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. So here at New Valley, we use the English Standard Version, so this is a very faithful version of the the English text. Uh, All of them have been translated from Hebrew and, and Greek and and some Aramaic. And in the NIV, I love the way this is described in a different version. The NIV, verse 45, says this, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Our version says, I'll walk, I shall walk in a wide place. And it's this imagery of God's word, his, his law, even though it, it is restricting at some level, it's this beautiful broad path that you're walking about. And, and as you're walking or running along God's path, there's amazing freedom in God's will for your life. Beautiful, wonderful freedom. 
Psalm 119 verse 32 says, I will run on the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. As God begins to free up your heart from the things that enslave us, there's this sense in which when God does that, because we cannot do that ourselves, then we are able to run, if you will, on the paths of God's will for our life, his law, his ordinances, his word, his testimonies, and all these things that the psalmist describes as God's will for the life. And isn't it interesting that the psalmist says he's found freedom in the most counterintuitive place in the world, you would think, in the law and the will of God. I mean, usually when you're talking about laws and rules and ordinances and regulations, that just sounds restrictive. That certainly doesn't sound like freedom. And ordinarily, when we would define freedom, it would be the absence of constraint, right? When I think about freedom for myself, it's like, I, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it. I want to be free. So do you. I don't want somebody restricting me or binding me up. That's what we normally think of when we think of, of the lack of freedom is this constraint. You know, I don't want constraints. But what the psalmist is saying that he has found is that in God's law, there is greater freedom than, than he had thought. It's counterintuitive, but he has found for his life this amazing inner freedom in God's law. When I was in high school, I can remember thinking about God and entertaining the idea of following him and, and taking seriously the faith that I said I professed. We were, we were very nominal Christians. We would go to church about once a month at best. And then we got to this place when I was a freshman in high school where we just quit going altogether, maybe eighth grade. And it had been infrequent, like I said, once a month or so. And then all of a sudden, we just quit going. But the, all the messages I had heard over the years and the, that my aunt, my faithful aunt, had told me and prayed for me was ringing in my ears in this call, follow him, make your life about him. But I resisted it because all I could think of is, this is going to restrict my freedom. And as a, as a younger brother personality, if you know that parable from the, the New Testament, uh, from Jesus' Gospels, then, then I was bent that way, wanted to go to Vegas, wanted to experience all the, the fun stuff of life, wanted to experience, and I just thought, if I commit myself to God so early in life, I'm going to miss so much fun, so much freedom. I'll get that kind of constraint later, after I get married and all this other stuff. When I get older, I'll get serious about God, but not while I'm young. I've got too much living to do. But I got to this place in my life where I felt like a conviction of things in my life that I didn't like seeing. My mom kept telling me, you're such a selfish person, and I, I didn't want to believe that. And I saw things in my life, and I thought, well, I'm going to change that. I'm going to quit being so selfish. I'm going to quit being whatever it is. And in the moment of trying to be more moral, what I found is this, how unfree I was. I thought that God's will for my life, I thought his ordinances, his testimonies, his laws, his will would bind me up so much that I would have no freedom. But what I found is this, when I actually tried to be a moral person, I found in myself this lack of inner freedom that I couldn't control my emotions, that I couldn't control my proclivity toward, to live for myself. And that scared me. And that was the beginning of the, not the end, but the beginning of my walk with the Lord, because that's what led me to cry out to him, a fear that I saw. I am not able to control myself. And if I can't stop myself, maybe I won't have the option when I'm 30 years old and have kids and I'm married and say, now I'll walk with God. Freedom. I had this good friend, Matt, in Cincinnati, and he works for uh, a really large software company. More than half of you in this room have a computer with their software on it. And, 
he was once telling me, because he's in sales, like just the, the pressure of the quota as a salesman. And many of you are in sales. And this quota that, that would like lay over him like a law during the first part of the year. And he said, though, every year he's been fortunate enough to meet his quota. And it's been so powerful because at some point during the year, he would meet the quota. And after that, it's freedom. The law of this company has been fulfilled. And now he said, I could go to work every day and I could call on customers. I could follow up with customers with absolutely no fear whatsoever because the quota had already been accomplished. And what I want you to see this morning is this. As we talk about the law of God and as we talk about the the testimonies and the ordinances and everything, the relationship we have as believers is like my friend and his quota. Our relationship to the law is like that in this. It's already been accomplished. The law, as you, the reason why you as a follower of Jesus can submit yourself joyfully and walk and run in the freedom of the law is this. God has already accomplished the intent and the purpose of the law through his son Jesus Christ and filled it. And you need that. You can't have a right relationship with God apart from perfect righteousness. Do you know that? Like I ask a lot of people, like, you know, do you need righteousness to go to heaven? Do you need a perfect righteousness to be right with God? And people say, oh, no, no, it's all grace. And you're right that it's all grace. The Christian gospel is all grace. But you're wrong if you think you don't need a perfect righteousness. You need perfect righteousness to stand before a holy God. Where will you get that? Well, the gospel says it, it's not found in yourself. You don't get perfect righteousness in yourself. You get it by looking at the Son of God who was the perfect righteousness. And then that righteousness is yours by faith. Romans 3 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That's what I was trying to do in high school. I wanted to justify myself. I wanted to do the work myself. I wanted to quit being a selfish person myself, earn it myself. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. The righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ, there is no distinction. You can have perfect righteousness by faith, and God gives it to you as a gift from his son, Jesus Christ, who earned it in a real life. Is 33 years of righteous living. Romans 5 says this, for as by one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, for by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. If you believe in Jesus, if you've hoped in him, your relationship with the law is utterly different. It doesn't condemn you any longer. Do you understand that? apart from Jesus, apart from faith in Jesus, whenever you read about the law, you must be holy. You must keep the Ten Commandments. You must do these things. Don't you see this inner problem that you can't? You've tried and you can't. But I've got great news for you. Jesus Christ earned it for you and now calls you in freedom to follow him and to keep the law, not in order to get a right relationship with him, but because you have a right relationship with him. Are you called to follow and keep the commandments of the Lord and to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbors yourself? Yes, you are. But not to be saved, but because you already are saved. This is good news. Now, the psalmist in this passage paints this picture of God's commands for him. 
like this path that he's running on. This broad path, this beautiful path that he's running on and walking on and experiencing all this freedom. And it's glorious. I try to stay in shape, you know, this time of year after the holidays, a little little more difficult. And I kind of have this rhythm of life where I'm, you know, worse shape, better shape, etc. I wish I was just one of those people just in shape, right? But I'm not. And a few years ago, it was in really good shape, and we were on vacation in uh, San Diego at the beach, and uh, decided to go for a run, and I just started running. We were near La Jolla and La Jolla Shores, and I just started on a jog, and I didn't know really where I was going, but uh, had my iPhone and was listening to music and just enjoying the day. And then I found this path that kind of took me through part of town of La Jolla. Then I found another path that went up uh, a hill and kept climbing and climbing and climbing to where I'm now up on the cliffs near downtown La Jolla. And I kept going and going and going. And it was the, literally the most glorious path I've ever been on. And I just had energy and the, the sun was shining and, and the wind was blowing from the surf. And I just felt perfect and my body wasn't restraining me and I was able to keep running for mile after mile and just experience this amazing freedom and what I thought of this week this path that's what came to my mind as I was thinking of this path of and the freedom that he's enjoying on Uh, but you know I thought like if I had not restricted myself earlier in the year before that summer I might have made it a mile in or so but I would not have been on that path running like that we think that only freedom comes from a lack of constraint but don't you see even like an exercise in our physical body that there's greater physical freedom when we've restrained ourselves in other ways and that's true of the will of the Lord for us I would have missed one of the most glorious moments of my entire life honestly it was just one of those days and moments where it's just absolutely beautiful if I had not restrained myself in other ways And so this is true for us as it it relates to the will of the Lord. There's freedom in God's commands. And as the Holy Spirit works in your life and teaches you to restrain your other passions and desires that frankly lead you in another direction than following Him, you think that's constraint, but it's greater freedom, always. We say around here all the time, there is greater joy and greater pleasure in God's will than in following your own will. Next, I want us to see that there's light, that God's commandments bring light. God's word, his ordinances, his commands, they bring light. The the 105th verse says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's kind of like this idea that you're walking through your life and, and there's all these choices you make and God's word, if you're willing to live according to it, directs your steps like, like a real light does on a path that otherwise you would stumble. Then it says in verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Wisdom for the simple. This doesn't mean the ignorant or the unwise. It means just the person who's willing to listen and follow the Lord. Right after Becky and I moved here from Cincinnati, uh, we moved in this amazing cul-de-sac and started to develop some great friendships. And we went on this camping trip with three families. And uh, we went to the lava tubes up in, uh, in, uh, in near Flagstaff. And my friend Mike was describing these lava tubes, and I was kind of freaked out about it. He's like, yeah, there's this this, you know, volcano up there, and that, that, that's what Mount Humphreys came from, and like, there's this volcano, and then when the volcano happened and exploded, like, all, they created all these enormous lava tubes, which are like these big caves, and you can hike back in, and so we had all of our kids, and we all had a flashlight, and we hiked in about a mile or so to the very end of this lava tube, and then we did what you have to do when you get to the end of a cave, right? 
you have to turn off all the lights. And you sit there in utter darkness. You can't see anything at all. And then every time I've done that when spelunking, the term for caving, is I have the same thought every time. What if? What if by some weird chance all of our batteries go out at the exact same time? How will we get out of here? And then it made me think, like, how would you get out of here? If you had meandered in here by yourself with light and you, you were alone and your, your light went out, how would you get out? Could you get out? And in this particular instance, it's a relatively straight shot. You might, but I promise you, if you got out, you would be beaten, you would be bruised, and you would be bloody because you would gash yourself on a number of rocks and things hanging down and so forth. You would just get cut to pieces. And friends, frankly, this is how many of you are living your lives. You may love the Lord, you may not, but the point is God's word is a light to your path. It's a, it's a, it's a way to show you how to live, that to, to, to not harm you and restrain your freedom, to bring you great joy and pleasure and to guide your life, but instead you're doing it on your own, your own will, your own laws, your own precepts. And don't you see how bloodied and bruised and beaten you are for it? When God's word is pleading to you through the Holy Spirit, I have a path, and it's a beautiful path, and a path for your protection. But so often we want to define what the good path is, and we're beaten and we're bruised for it. The final thing I want us to see from this psalm this morning is this, that the word of the Lord brings formation. And the truth is, whatever is regular and repeated and loud in your life, like we've said rhythm is, like whatever patterns are in your life, these are the things that form us and shape us And when God's word becomes the regular pattern and rhythm of your life, becomes the thing upon which you go to repeatedly over and over, it begins to shape you and form you. It's the means of grace that God has given us. And this is what I long for my life and for yours, is that God's word become the rhythm and the pattern of your life so that you have a path to walk in, that you actually know what the will of the Lord is. How can you walk on the path if you don't know what the path is? The word of the Lord means to form us. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? That is a question I ask as I raise three young men in my home. How will these boys keep their way pure? And the answer from the psalmist is this, by guarding it according to your word. By guarding it according to your word. So, we're dependent on God for salvation and, gr- and growth. We talk about around here all the time that we love gospel growth. We believe the gospel is not only the thing that makes us right with God initially, it's by grace that we keep growing. It's by grace that we keep g- growing and san- being sanctified in him. But it's these means of grace that God has given us, means of grace, gifts that God has given us in order to grow. I want to talk about three of them. The first is memorization of scripture. It says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart. Scripture memorization is is truly one of the most important things you can do in order to have the path of God in your heart on a day-to-day basis. And when I first got to the university where I attended, I told you, uh, when I was in high school, I was sorely tempted to just not follow God and continue on my path. In my freshman year when I got there, it was as if 
Everything in my heart was tempting me to say, I will press pause on following God. I had for two years, but now I'm going to press pause for these next four years. I mean, there's just too much fun stuff to be had. I'm going to press pause and I will follow God four years from now. And I can remember and almost take you to the place at my campus and show you where I was when I felt like God was saying to me, you can't press pause like you think you can. You think you're in control of your life. You think you can press pause and say, I'll follow you now, but I'm going to stop. And then later, four years from now, I'll follow you again. It doesn't work like that. And I remember the Lord oppressing upon me, follow me now. Don't think you're sovereign over your life and you can just control this. Follow me now or don't ever follow me. I followed by his grace. And one of the most beautiful gifts he gave me at that campus was a ministry that I got involved in on campus And one of the staff guys committed his life to mine. And we began to meet on a weekly basis in a basement of a library. They had rooms that you could meet in. And he would just ask me simple questions about my life. There wasn't some big program we were going through. It wasn't some huge Bible study that we had to do. We we simply met, we talked about life, and then we memorized scripture together. And those scriptures that we memorized and those cards that I carried around the campus and just kept repeating to myself as I walked down the campus... It, it to me was like, it was the beginning for me to hide God's word in my heart. I had never really read the scripture much. And it was the first opportunity for me to begin to hide it in my heart. And I can tell you to this day, I call on those passages that are a treasure for me. Memorization. The next is meditation. Verse 15 says this, I will meditate on your precepts and, my, and fix my eyes on your ways. Meditate. Verse 48 says, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I mean, who says that? I love the law of God. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Meditate. We have to go beyond mere reading. And and frankly, I don't know if many of us are even doing that. But beyond the mere reading is to stop and to savor God's word to meditate on it. There's one thing to just read it for information or just read it to say you read it, you know, and you're, you're trying to get out the door. Like you heard, I'm busy. You're busy. I get it. But to slow down, to not just, yeah, I read the Bible today, but to meditate on it, to think about it, to ponder it, to work out implications. You're saying, man, again, I, I don't even know if I have time just to even crack it, let alone to meditate on it. Can I say to one busy person to another, you have time. No, Scott, you don't know. You don't know how busy I am. You have time. I'm watching you. (laughs) I'm like evil Santa keeping a list. Like, have you noticed like in every Christmas movie for little kids, Santa's like this really mean person. Anyway, so I know who's naughty. No, I know, I know you. You're my flock. You're busy. You're too busy. But you're not so busy that you don't have time to binge watch like 35 episodes on Netflix. I I know you. I know me. You're not so busy that you're not going to spend like nine hours watching football today. I know you. I know myself. I'm going to do the same. You've got time. You have one of these in your purse or your pocket right now. I have like 90 Bible apps on here. You can listen to the word of God in your car. You can listen on your run, on your workout. You can skip, God forbid, one of your television shows that you're binge watching. You have time. As busy as you are, 
You have time. The question is, and the answer is this, whatever you're meditating on, the other, you know, if you've just watched like 90 episodes of Breaking Bad, which I love, it does shape you. It does. What else is shaping you? Is it just stuff and entertainment and, and work and the other rhythms of American life? Or is God's word ever actually making itself into your heart so that it can be a path for you? That's the question, Americans, distracted as we are. Meditate. On God's word, I plead with you, family, to meditate on God's word. Psalm 119, verse 11 says this. I just read it. Let me read it again. I have stored up your word in my heart. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, let's meditate on that just for a second. What does that mean? I've stored it up. I've hidden it. That means I have it. I've memorized it. I kind of know it backwards and forth. I've, I've stored it. I've got it. It's in my database. So that I might not sin against you. Let's ponder that. What does that mean? Does that mean that if I memorize enough scripture, I'll never sin again? My experience <laughs> is that that's not the case. I've memorized quite a bit of scripture and I've studied a lot and so far I'm still a sinner. Uh, other passages would seem to indicate that's not true. So I don't believe that. I don't believe that if you memorize enough scripture, you won't sin anymore. But what I do believe, and I think what this passage is saying as I've meditated on it and studied it and thought about it, is that there's a direct correlation between the attention and loves of my heart and whether I'm routinely spending time in God's word or not. That God's word fuels my loves and my passions and my intentions. We can't help loving things and people and places and ideas. We are a passionate people. Even the most dispassionate person in this room, you're fueled by your loves. And God's word will fuel you towards the Lord. There's a direct correlation there that I might not sin against you. The ultimate sin is to deny God and to not love him and follow him. Finally, magnify, which is worship. Memorize, <laughs> meditate, and because I'm a pastor, it has to be all M's. Magnify. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Delight. I love your law. Not to heap up more like goals or duties on you, but the whole point of memorizing scripture, meditating scripture, going to church, going to a C group, reading the Bible, listening to stuff online, whatever spiritual practices you're doing, the whole point is that you would worship God, love him. And it, until that happens, until you're there, you haven't really arrived yet. You haven't climbed the mount. You haven't reached the objective. The objective to read the Bible, to follow his commandments, to, to be here this morning, to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's all that we might magnify him, that we might love him, that we might glorify him. And I have to admit, on Sunday mornings, that's really hard for me because I'm distracted here, if you can imagine. Like we're, Each of us pastors are so juggling various things. I have to say this and do this and don't forget this and there's this announcement and so forth. It's hard for me to break through in worship, but it happened this morning. It did. Carson sang that third song. I don't even know the name of it. It's a new song right before uh, I got up. And, and it was talking about how when Jesus Christ returns robed in white, and I don't remember all the words, but my, our eyes will be transfixed on him, locked in. And that moved me to worship, 
to the point where I thought, I got to get it together emotionally before I get up here. Because you know what? When we sang that, here's what happened. I was moved to magnify him and thank him because this idea that he's going to return. And then it talked about how all the saints, you know, I will be among the saints. And then I thought of those who've gone before me, people I love that are in the cold ground in Indiana right now. And then I had to say goodbye to a long time ago or on that day when Jesus comes back and he's not just coming back and we're all going to escape. He's going to renew the whole earth and make it the way it should be. But in that moment, the dead will, and Christ will rise and will be lifted up and we'll see him face to face. And we won't even be looking around at our loved ones, not at first, no way. We're gonna be looking at the face of our king who comes not in a humble uh, stall uh, with a Virgin Mary anymore. No, he's coming with a sword on a horse in white and in glory. And our faces will be transfixed on him and we will be risen with him. Now, you're thinking, well, you're making a lot of a one line in a psalm, but yeah, but that's where my heart went because I've studied God's word and I know the story. And I thanked him. I'm worshiping right now. I've got chill bumps thinking about it right now. Why? Because this is true. And as I read God's word, the point, and this does not happen every time I crack open the Bible. I don't have this like mini worship service and tears. Like it doesn't. But that is the goal. Not the emotion necessarily, but the worship. I go to God's word, not for an information dump. I, know, I think I know pretty much all the data I need to know. It's that I might love him more, repent of my sins, turn from them, uh, hear the word of my father, be a better husband because I love Jesus, and be a better uh, dad because I love Jesus, be a better pastor because I love Jesus, be moved to worship him. Church, I plead with us. I plead with us to be in God's word, specifically the Psalms, the rhythm of our life. Not so we can memorize a bunch of data and know more stuff and impress people with knowledge, but that we might love and magnify our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do pray as a distracted people and over-entertained, overworked, frenetic people that you would seize us in our hearts and show us how much we need you. Show us how, how much we need to commit our lives to following you, to clear away the distractions, and to go to your word, that we might hear your word and find freedom there in light, and that we might be changed by, by your word, Con- conformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that and praise you in Jesus' good name. Amen.